we are talking about money. And if you're visiting us today, you are sitting there right now going, so this is the day I choose. It's raining, the wind is blowing, and now he's preaching about money. What a great day for me. Well, here's what I hope you'll do. I hope you'll listen to what we have to say. Maybe you're visiting from another church. Maybe you actually attend another church and you just happen to be here with us today. Hey, listen to this information in relation to your church. And then go back and be a blessing to your church. If you're new to the bridge, maybe you're here and you don't even know if you believe the words that were in the songs. You don't know if you're ready to even buy into all the stuff we preach or teach here. Just listen. I don't believe it is ever um, outside of the purposes of God. When a person comes to a worship service, I believe God always has something for them in that worship service. So I want you to be listening today, no matter where you are. If you're an owner here at the bridge or you've been coming for years and this is your home church, or if you're brand new or if this is your first Sunday, just listen today and say, God, if you're here, if you're speaking, what do you want me to hear today? And you'll hear something that will be a blessing to you and will be an encouragement to you. I've got a couple of gentlemen who are going to help me with the message today, and you know them very, very well. The first one is Mr. Jim Gillikin. Jim, if you'll come on out. Jim Gillikin, excuse me, is our executive pastor. He is full-time on staff here at the bridge. You see Jim walking around every Sunday morning and uh, making sure everything's in working order. He's solving problems behind the scenes, and I am very, very thankful for that. But one of Jim's primary roles here at the bridge is overcoming, uh, overcoming, overseeing, and overcoming too, because uh, I'm his pastor, so he's got a lot to overcome. But anyway, he oversees the income of our church, and the expenditures of our church. And that way I don't have to look at that. I don't have to worry about that. I mean, I look at it, but I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about that it's being managed, it's being monitored, that it's being uh, handled in a very wise, biblical, spiritual way because Jim is awesome at that. Now, he has a lot of other responsibilities, but his primary role here is in the area of finances. We know behind every good man is a what, ladies? Better woman, exactly. And his wife is Trish, been coming to the bridge for none of your business years. She's been coming for a long time. They've both been coming for over 20 years here to the bridge, almost as long as I've been here. Trish is very involved in our music, and we just love her so much. So I want you one more time, welcome Jim to the stage and his wife, Trish, give them a big hand. Coming to the stage right now is another gentleman that you see around here from time to time. His name is Jerry Allen. Jerry, if you'll come on out. Jerry's going to also be presenting some information in this message. Jerry and his wife, Donna, are faithful owners and uh, diligent volunteers in many areas of our church. Jerry's one of our elders. He serves on our financial stewardship team. He leads our missions efforts uh, all over the world, but especially in the uh, South American uh, nation of Belize. Is that a city or a nation? It's in South America, Belize. Okay, yeah, yes. cool. All right. I agree with everything you said. Thank Carol. you, thank you. He, he doesn't just serve, but Jerry joyfully serves. He's got a great sense of humor, and uh, we were in the back. I was trying to pray, and he was making jokes. But anyway, whatever. I love him. And uh, <laughs> Jerry's a great man of God. We pick on each other. Uh, his wife, Donna. Where's Donna? Where is Donna? I know she doesn't want to stand up, but... 
She is standing up. Stand. <laughs> Donna, stand up. Wave at us. She's on the back back there. Just wave. Everybody look at Donna. Now, here's why I want you to look at Donna. Because when you look at Jerry, I can't believe it either. It's a miracle. Jerry and I both found pretty girls who couldn't see well. So did you. What are you laughing at? So did you. Donna, you walk up, you see the pretty flowers. You walk into many of our environments inside the church. You see pretty things, and you see new things and fresh things. Donna has a whole lot to do with that. She's extremely creative and uh, just such a blessing to our church. She and Miss Millie there, uh, they work together, and uh, Donna, Donna does uh, most of her stuff outdoors, and, and uh, she does some indoors as well. Just, I love the way our church is decorated, don't you? Let me tell you all something. That doesn't just happen. People, people volunteer, serve. They're out here many, many hours during the week making sure that when you bring your friends and you bring your guests, everything looks great for them. So we just love these two guys. Uh, they're going to come today. I just felt like it would be a good idea for you to hear from somebody other than me on the topic of money and putting the challenge out there. You guys know that two weeks from today is our offering fit for a king. And uh, the other day, um, Jim and Jerry and I met, and they showed me some numbers that I had never seen before about the bridge. And I said, you know what, guys? Our folks need to see that. Our folks at the bridge need to see those numbers. So I'm going to ask, I believe Jerry's going to speak first. I'm going to ask Jerry to come. He's going to challenge you. He's going to share some things with you. And then after that, Jim's going to come and share with you. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, Jim and I decided we're never going to show Farrell anything else because this is what happens when you do that. Uh, a couple of thoughts about what Farrell said earlier. I, I, I'm fascinated by the idea that Matt Bartley might start a band, and I was just kind of wondering, what do you think he ought to call it if he does? <laughs> Maybe we could come up with some suggested names, okay? Uh, get a little creative for Matt and help him out with that. My wife sitting in the back um, I laugh when Farrell talks about uh, her involvement in decorating outside because she's responsible for the very famous, um, um, what's it called, pot that, that's laying on the ground out here out front. And, and for a long time after she put that pot out there, and she did intentionally lay it down, people would stand it up because they thought it had fallen over, so it kind of became like this. So she did that. She did that. I said, honey, you ought to set that pot up. She, she said, no, I'm going to lay it down. I said, people will wonder. And sure enough, they did. Um, thank you for the opportunity to speak just briefly with you this morning. You know, nobody likes to talk about numbers, and most of us who've been Christians for a very long time have walked a journey of money, if you will. We never started off, most of us, inherently opening our hand to God. That's not something that we do naturally. In fact, when we talk about money, we're kind of like Scrooge. We tend to close our hand, right? And we don't naturally open our hand to anybody, much less God, when we talk about our finances. And, and so it can be a difficult thing, but, but most of us who've been in church for a long time have been through a journey, a process, and some of us are still going through the process, and some of us are further down the road than others. But as we've gone through that process, we have learned over time, a little by little, to open our hands to God. And a discussion that we're having in this series and this morning about money and about what if is really a discussion about ministry. So you say, why do we have to keep talking about money? And the answer to that is because of ministry. 
because money empowers us to do ministry. And, and we do a lot in this church. It's amazing. I mean, look up here. This is a collage of the different ministries that we have in this church. But we don't have enough resources to do all that we need to do. There is more need than we can meet right now. So you ask the question, what if? What if is really about a vision. It's about imagining what could be. How could we be better at what we're doing? How could we, how could we do more ministry? And how could we do a better job at the ministries that we do? We have people uh, today, I think, that will be at the soup kitchen. And they'll be serving at the soup kitchen. The needs there are great. We had people yesterday at the prison ministering there in the prison in the rain yesterday it's amazing the ministries that go on here but we could do more kentucky and kelly was here this morning i don't think she's in the house now but but kelly will tell you that she needs more resources to do more in kentucky and we have a long established relationship there but we can't meet all the needs we can't do everything that's needed i am a walking advertisement for Belize, okay? I lead that ministry. And I wear this shirt because I like it and because Kelly won't give me a Kentucky shirt. She said I had to go to Kentucky to get a Kentucky shirt, so I don't have a Kentucky shirt. But I can tell you in Belize, for example, that we have at least 10 congregations right now in the country of Belize that are meeting in this kind of weather just like we're having here. It's rainy season in Belize right now. They meet under tarps because they don't have a building at all to worship in. They worship, they meet, they get together, but they don't have a place like this. You know why we have this building? We have this building because somebody said, what if? Somebody had the imagination and the vision to say, to dare the think that we could have a facility like this. How many of you remember when you walked in this building for the very first time? I remember walking in, and were you blown away? Because I was blown away. I remember walking. I didn't see it while I was under construction. I didn't see it until it opened up. But I can remember walking in that front foyer and going, wow, wow. And the reason we can say wow is because somebody dared to say what if. Somebody dared to believe that this is something that could be done. And look where we are. But in Belize, they're sitting under tarps, four poles, and tarps because they don't have anywhere to worship and they've actually come to us as part of our ministry in Belize and they've said to us will you please help us build a church where we can worship and so far we haven't been able to do that part of our vision for Belize is to be able to build and to plant churches we need to do that it's a business we need to be in Jesus said this is supposed to be our business ministry ministry I talked to somebody this morning, I had a meeting about Belize this morning, and one of the guys involved in the meeting is, is, is in, uh, works with Royal Rangers, and he said, hey, while you're up there, can you mention, while you're talking about ministry, that we need some more stuff over there, we need a new roof? I said, I'll mention it. So there it is, Jason Britt, I just mentioned it. There are so many needs and more importantly, those needs are opportunities. We have so many opportunities to minister, to reach out to others, to share. And being able to do that requires that all of us, each and every single one of us, understand, learn, and again, it doesn't come natural, but learn how to open our hands to God so that we can do the things that He's asked us to do. 
Jesus spent a lot of time, as Pharaoh has said, talking about money. He did, because money is important, and because he knows that it's one of the most it's one of the biggest obstacles to our Christian walk that we will ever have is learning how to open our hands to him. And that's why he talked about it. The other night, we, we were at uh, Goldsboro campus, and after the message, a lady came up to me because we were available to talk to anybody who wanted to talk to us, and she said, you know what? She said, I can barely pay my bills. What do I do? You know, what do I do? And I said, look, I understand that. I said, most of us have been at a place in our lives where we live paycheck to paycheck and where we didn't have, or at least we didn't feel like we had, and maybe we didn't in reality enough. I said, God doesn't expect more than you can do, but he expects what you can do. So what, what do I say? I say, come up with a plan. Take baby steps. Make some progress forward. Say, here's my goal. Jim's going to share with you some numbers in a minute, numbers that we see as, uh, on the Financial Stewardship Committee here. Uh, we look at numbers, we study numbers so that you don't have to and so that Farrell doesn't have to. And I can tell you um, that there are about, what were there, five categories? Four categories. We want to create a fifth category. Jim will tell you about my idea for a fifth category. But there are four categories, basically, that the givers are broken down to in this church. Everybody... Wherever you fall, and, and, and I don't know where you fall, we don't look at that from that perspective, but we do know what the numbers are and we know what the budget is. But wherever you fall, whatever category you fall into, our goal should be to move to the next category. And even if that means creating a new category, our goal should be to do that. God respects the smallest gift. The story about the widow that's in, Jesus told that story for a reason, because it resonates because we can understand that that lady who didn't have much was still able to give out of her poverty. And Jesus honored that. The five loaves, five fishes and two loaves, however many, anyway, five and two, which is it? Five and two. Five and two, five, but which was it, fish? Five fishes. Five fishes, five fishes and two loaves. Okay, five fishes and two loaves. Jesus can take that, and he can, he can use it. He can, he can allow us to do the ministry that we need to do, but you know what we have to do, what we have to learn to do, and that's the difficult part, is we have to turn loose of the fish and the bread. And when we can turn loose of the fish and the bread, then he can bless it, and we can do all that we need to do. What if, what if each of us could learn to let go of the fish and the bread. And what if we could say we're going to honor God by doing what Jesus said was one of the most important and difficult things that we will ever do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jerry. Um, ministry thrives off of money. Is that not the world we live in? You know, the pastor says all the time that Money's like oxygen. You've got to have a little bit of it to make it through this world. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, I have an office in the back of the building here. It's a real dark room, smoke filled. I've got a visor and a calculator, and I'm here doing like this all day long. No, I'm joking with you. Um, they do let me out once in a while, and, and numbers is one of those hard things to talk about, money. You know, you hear people say, you know, Jesus talked more about money than he did salvation in the New Testament. It's the truth. 
you know, whatever it is that you're passionate about, whether it's on a bowling league or got a place at the beach or you got a car you like or you like four-wheelers or whatever it may be, ladies have uh, pocketbooks and shoes, uh, whatever it is that catches your eyes, normally where you spend your money. You know, I'm going to set a lot of you free. Pastor Farrell don't know what anybody in this church gives. He doesn't want to know. And a lot of church leaders tell us that he should know, but he refuses to look at the books. There's only about three people who could know. We really don't look at numbers and try to determine man he ain't or she ain't giving anything because I don't think that's fair to you guys. I think what you give and what I give is between me and my God. I think the one thing that, as a Christian, that frustrates me the most, I'm going to get real here. Pastor's the mayor of Realville. I'm the accountant of Realville. And this is one of them. I think whenever we get saved, you know, there's an old man that we're trying to die to and trying to work out some things. But we start on the outside. We clean up our language a little bit maybe. We talk a little different. We walk a little different. We act a little different. We start praying over our food. And we try to get those things right because it makes us feel good about it. We're making progress. All the church leaders that I talk to in the finance world says that money normally takes a, a, someone who's accepted Christ for the first time 18 months before they ever release their money. And the fact is that it's one of the last things that go. I believe that's why Jesus spoke more about money in the New Testament than he did salvation, because he knew that if he had your money, he had your heart. I'll let that marinate just a little bit. Because we like our, I like my boats. Come on. I'll come clean. Like our cars and our trucks, four-wheelers, again. But why do we tip God? Why is that the last place that we as believers let go? And that's the only place in the Bible where, where God says, try me. Just try me. That's kind of like the old commercial for us old guys where they used to put the battery on the shoulder and he'd say, go ahead, I dare you, knock it off. Y'all remember that commercial? Energizer. That's where God's saying, try me, man. But we hold on to it, Jerry said, like this. You know, I sit down, and this is how I look at what God gives me. One, two, I'm counting my money. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and one for God. Man, that's, that's a pretty good deal. You know, our God didn't say, give me 30% or 20, 25. He said, just give me a tenth. Why do we struggle as believers with that? Why is it one of the last places that we want to give up? I buried my father-in-law about two weeks ago. A very godly man. Taught me a lesson a long time ago. He said, Jim, if you'll give God 10%, give yourself 10%, and learn to live off of 80. When you get my age, you'll be okay. He was 86 years old. 
God's telling us the same thing, guys. Try me. Numbers, especially financial numbers, can be a challenge. They're not fun to talk about. I, I think numbers can be fun. Men, how about if you're riding through town and you see an old 72 Chevrolet pickup and it brings back memories of when you were with your dad or your grandfather? Good times. Back in the day, we say. And you say, I like to buy that truck because of the fond memories I had. What if, when you looked at your savings account, you discovered you could pay cash for that truck and not have to finance it? Many of you know that I'm a grandfather. I have about six grandkids. I've got one on the way. I got one that walks these halls. Her name's Molly. And Molly comes to me and she says, Papa, can you buy me a baby doll? Man, I'm like, dude, yeah, I'm buy you a baby doll. Come on. Can you say American girl? A hundred dollars for a baby doll. Man, I long for today it was $9.99 for a Barbie doll or something. But that's always nice when you can, you know, share what God's blessed you with with others, especially your grandkids. I think when God gives you grandkids, it's, it's an opportunity for you to be able to give to them early on where maybe with your children you were starting out young. You're just trying to work this thing out. How many of you always said when you were younger, man, if I could just make X number of dollars, man, I could give God all the money he wants. And then as we get older, we're still saying the same thing. They'll say, the more you make, the more it takes. You want a bigger house and a nicer car. When is God worth 10%? Is it harder to pay 10% on 1,000 than it is 100? Still 10%. Try me. What if? What if you went to the mailbox and you got a check, uh, a letter from the IRS? Come to find out they made a mistake and they owe you some money. Those are good numbers. Don't happen often, but those are good numbers. Um, guys, we went to Atlanta back in January, myself and Jerry and Cherry Jennings, and we went and saw Joe Sangle. Y'all remember Joe came when I was broke, now I'm not, and set it up to where we can be debt-free. I hope many of you have gone through the um, I was broke, now I'm not with your life group or maybe gotten a book or the home study. And um, the key thing that Joe always talks about, and, and anytime you listen to Dave Ramsey, is you got to have a budget. you got to have a budget plan. If you don't have a plan, you might as well plan to fail is what I always say. You've got to know where your money's going. It's a blessing from God. We work too hard for our money not to know where it's going. We gave Joe and his team our numbers from 2014. And Joe and his team, Brian Dodd, uh, look him up on the Internet, a great financial guy, knows a lot about money. They took all our giving units. Guys, if you'll show that video, I mean that slide. Our current giving here at the church, the Bridge Church, our house, us, we the people at the Bridge, the way we finance everything we do, 
outreach, build the buildings, the environments for the kids. These are our numbers. They broke them down by four categories. Jerry was joking when he was talking about the fifth one. We, we, we got a name for a fifth one. We'll talk about that one later. But they broke down the giving from you guys. Now, remember, there's only three people who knows what you give. I don't go in and say, I wonder if so-and-so has given money this, this month. That's not my job, guys. But I do see a lot of checks on a regular basis. And for you guys that are giving like that, thank you so much. Just thank you. You're being faithful. If you make 50000 you get paid once a week, and there's a consistent check, that's a tithe. I go to restaurants. I know what a tip looks like, and you guys do too. It's amazing. We'll go to a restaurant, and how much do they want us to give them? 15%. They ask for more than what God does, but we'll, we feel obligated to pay them. I don't feel obligated at all to pay God. This is why. This is one of my pet peeves that I live my life by. I've shared this a hundred times with many of you personally. I think about what Jesus did for me. I think of that day they took him to a whipping post. Man, what a day. They made him carry his own cross to Calvary. And if you read the Word of God, you see that he fell under the weight of the cross. And there's a scripture where the Roman guard says, hey, you, you carry the cross. Guys, he was pointing to me. Jesus went to the cross. They hung him on that cross. Do you think that took 30 minutes from the time this journey started that day? I believe it was an all-day event for all that to transpire. We get born again. We're committed to Christ. We believe in the message of the gospel, the good news. We believe that we've been commissioned to go into the highways and the byways of the world and compel them to come into the house of God and hear the good news that God sent his only begotten son. We clean our lives up. But money, I'm not giving that church my money. You're not giving the church to the money. You're giving the church to God. We have four groups in our church, and they just looked at it. They took all the names away. It doesn't matter. We looked at trends. And in that trend, we saw that we had uh, 48 high-capacity givers. This is us guys, units, people, accounting terms. And for you mathematicians now, I rounded some numbers, so don't sit there with your calculators and say he missed his numbers. I rounded numbers up or down, just depending on how they fell. For illustration purposes, 48 givers who gave an average of $15,000, $752,000 is what this group gave. Do the math. That's a $100,000 pay job, a job. Medium income for Wayne County is $42,000 a year. Johnson County is around 50. I think it's 49 and some change. Intermediate givers in our church, we have some of those. About 88, according to the numbers that they ran at that time, 2014, giving an average of $7,000 a year for a total of 621000 
We have another group. I like this group. This is called a core. A core group. No matter what, a core is always at the center of everything we do. These people may go away. And the reason why I say that is there are only 48 of them. 344 of you guys, us, we, the Bridge Church, give an average of $2,300, about $23,000 a year. Remember the medium income? Up to $5,000. That would be a $50,000 job. The largest part of our budget for that year, about $2.1 million, $800,000. The emerging class, these are people I feel like maybe for the first time in their life, they're, they're born again, come and say, man, I'm going to try you, God. What if? God, I ain't got it. I got my financial house is a wreck. But they said, I'm going to try God. So maybe they're trying to work their way. Maybe they started out giving 5%, maybe 2 and a half, maybe 3 They're trying to figure this whole thing out about why I should give my money to God. 395 of us are in that class. What if, guys, 10%, if we could get 10% more people in each class to understand the concept of tithing and buy into it and understand the blessing that comes from it, all we need is four more people in the high capacity. There's probably somebody sitting in the congregation today or online or this morning in the early service. Maybe God spoke to their heart and said, it's time to step up in your finances. You've turned every other part of your life over to me but your finances. Trust God. That's four times the 15. You remember we were at the 15, 62,000. I won't, for the sake of time, go through all of them, but you can see 10%, 8 of the 88, you remember? 56, 344, 34, 39. Look at that bottom number, guys. 217,000 more dollars to do ministry here at the bridge. Right now, we got some projects on the table that we would love to jump in and really get at it. But we want to maintain margin. Do y'all believe the economy is just straight up all the time? I don't. Remember, I'm the count of the realville. I know the economy is like this for all of us. Some of us are self-employed. I do know God's still in control. But we want to do more ministry, and I believe $217,000 additional to what we already have will do the following for us. Pastor Farrell's cast vision, we want to go to the University of Mount Olive. I like saying that. The University of Mount Olive. We believe there are students there on that campus that would thrive in a bridge-type church service. Do y'all believe that? I do. I believe we could do that for about $50,000. I didn't touch the 217. There's a lot left, guys. I was with Pastor Jeremy at the Goldsboro campus the other day, the staff, and he was talking about his struggles with room size. We got a ton of kids, and there's no room. We're, we've run out of room. We've had an opportunity, another strip mall's come available, a little store there. 
for about 35000 We could remodel it, move our kids around, give us some room. Church could continue to grow, fulfilling the Great Commission to compel them to come into the house of God. What's holding us back? Are we any less spiritual? Are we, are we still not committed to the passion of the church, the vision of the church? No, the only thing holding Jim back right now is pulling the trigger on that right there because I have a responsibility to maintain margin. Because I guarantee you, if we miss a mortgage payment, you guys are going to come to me and say, Jim, what are you doing? And probably get another accountant from Realville. Guys, I don't say this to put any guilt on you. The only thing I say is examine yourself and decide where you're at today. There's some of you who are maybe down here in the core, and you could step up to intermediate. That's between you and God. The Bible says much is given, much is required. God loves a generous person. What if we all did our part? Guys, we have an open book policy here at the bridge. If you ever want to know anything that we spend, you call me, step into the office, I will sit down with you with our financial statements and go through everything we do. What if you need to ask yourself, where do I fall in the scope of all, everything we're doing? Let us continue to do ministry, guys. And you just ask, what part do I hold in that? So ask yourself before you leave here today, what if? Thank you, guys. I like that Jim Gilligan now, I'm telling you. You know why I like him so much? Because when he came on staff, we were averaging about 800 in attendance. We have more than doubled since he came on staff. You know why? Because he has taken a role that used to be on my shoulders, an administrative role, uh, a financial role, overseeing the finances. When he came on and I was able to focus on what God called me to do, ministry, I'm telling you, that's when our church kind of took off, man. And I just love him and I appreciate him. And Jerry, Allen, one of our laymen here in the church who volunteers and serves, I wanted you to hear from him. You know, there are two people in the Bible that kind of represent both ends of the um, spectrum the um, high-capacity giver, the emerging giver, and they both gave generously. I think about Barnabas. Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, and I'm not even going to read that because I'll get all preachy, but in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas, the Bible says he sold property and laid it at the feet of the apostles. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not saying that's something you ought to do. I'm just saying he was a generous man. As a matter of fact, his name wasn't even Barnabas. His name was Joseph. But he was so generous. He was so giving. He was such an encouragement. He was a guy that gave his treasure, yeah, but he also gave his time. And he also gave his talent. And he was an encourager. And uh, so they named him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. When you look at the Greek word for Barnabas, it actually means comforter. The same name as the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying Barnabas was the Holy Spirit, but I tell you what, he had so many characteristics of the Holy Spirit that they named him Son of Encouragement, Comforter. 
You know, it was Barnabas who believed in Paul. When Paul got saved, when Paul gave his heart to Jesus on the road to Damascus, I mean, Paul had been a martyr. A mar- he had martyred, rather, many Christians. And Paul gave his heart to Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he wanted to be a part of the church that he had been persecuting. And so he comes in and goes, hey, guys, I got saved. I want to join the church. And they were like, yeah, right. You killed my uncle. I saw you hold the coats of people so they could stone Stephen to death. No way, buddy. You're not getting in this church. But the Bible says Barnabas sat down with Paul and listened to his story, listened to his testimony, took Paul by the hand and said, hey, guys, this is the real deal. God has really changed Paul's life. And because of Barnabas, Paul was taken into the church and received by the church. Later on, Barnabas and Paul were going to go on a missionary trip. They had been on several. They were about to go on another one. And this young preacher boy came up. He said, hey, I want to go. I want to go. You know what that young boy's name was? Mark. His name was Mark. I want to go on that trip. So the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas and Mark went on the mission trip. I don't know what happened halfway through. I don't know if Mark started missing his girlfriend or his mom's biscuits. But he left. And he went back home right in the middle of the mission trip. So later, Paul and Barnabas come back home from their mission trip. They're there for a while, and they get ready to go on another mission trip. And Mark comes up and goes, hey, I'm sorry what I did before. Will you guys let me go again? Will you try me one more time? Will you give me a second chance? You know what Paul said? No. No way, buddy. You blew it. You messed up. You can't go on the mission trip. Barnabas said, hey, Paul, listen, man, let's give this kid another chance. I I, I think he's sincere. I know he messed up, but he needs another chance. Paul said, no way. So Paul took another partner, Silas, Paul and Silas, and they went on a mission trip. And the Bible doesn't go into great detail, but you know what? I've got a feeling that Barnabas mentored Mark. I've got a feeling that Barnabas, the encourager, the comforter, put his arm around Mark and said, hey, man, you know, Paul, he's, he's got his view, he's got his perspective, and he's a great man of God. Hey, but Mark, if you don't mind, I'll spend some time with you. And I don't know about you guys, but in my Bible, the second book of the New Testament is the book of Mark. And you know what? When Paul was in prison, he wrote a letter, and he said, it's cold here in prison. He said, please bring me my coat. He said, also, bring me my Bible. I've got a favorite Bible I like. If you'll bring me my Bible. He said, and send Mark to me. I've heard great things about Mark, and I want to spend some time with Mark. Why did Mark rise from someone who seemed totally unreliable to one of the greatest men of God in the Bible because of men like Barnabas? Guys, listen. When you serve, when you serve here at the church and give your time, when you say, I don't know what my gift is, but I'll serve anyway, and you serve, and then later you discover your gift and you're able to serve in your niche area, and then you're giving financially, let me tell you something, you're being Barnabas. You're being a Barnabas. You're encouraging people to come to Christ. You're encouraging people to get nearer to Christ. And then there's another person in the Bible And this person didn't give very much. And she was a widow. 
And she's recorded in several places, but in the, in the book of Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it says the rich people were dropping their gifts in the collection box and Jesus was watching. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins, maybe to us two pennies, two nickels. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. Or they, they, have given, uh, they have given just a little bit of all that they have. But she, this poor woman, has given everything she has. So there's the deal. So guys, listen to me. Listen, listen. We're not, we're not up here. This is not pressure. It's a challenge. It's just a challenge. You're going to work this out with God. You're going to get with your family. You're going to get with your children. You're going to get with your friends, whatever. You're going to pray. And God's going to speak to your heart, and you're going to do what God puts in your heart. Nobody's going to pressure you one bit. But, you know, if you're not able to give like a Barnabas, but you're able to give like that widow, here's what I'm asking you to do. Do the best you can. Two weeks from today, two weeks from today, we're going to take that offering. And I believe it's going to be a record offering for our church. Um, You know, I don't pick on churches that do this because we used to do it too. But can I tell you, if we would all step up in our giving, we wouldn't have to sell another taco. We wouldn't have to sell another pancake. Are y'all with me? I'm telling you, God never intended for the church to sell tacos. God never intended for the church to sell pancakes. Why do we sell tacos and pancakes? I'll tell you why. Because people want something for their money. God said, give it. Give it. And I would love to see our church come to a place of giving where we don't ever have to sell another thing. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. So I challenge you, and I put it out there two weeks from today. You got that gold envelope. It's right there in the chair by you. I hope you'll take it with you today. Don't take that letter out and start reading it. I wrote it. It'll be mesmerizing because I wrote it, so don't read it. So make sure you leave my letter in there. But also in there is this envelope. So what we want you to do is put your offering in the envelope. Put the information on the outside. Put the envelope in the gold envelope. And then two weeks from today, you're going to walk up with your family. You're going to walk up with your mate. You're going to walk up with your friends. And you're going to bring your gold envelope. And you're going to drop it in the offering. We'll have several tables up here for you to give. That's all I'm asking you to do, guys. Pray. Pray and say, God, what would you have me do? Not what would Pastor Farrell have me do? Not what would Jim have me do? Not what does Jerry want me to do? What do you want me to do? Our challenge is on that day, you'll give 10% of your income. Some of you for the very first time, because in Malachi 3, God says, try me. Try me on that. Test me. See what I'll do. But you might say, I can't do it, man. I can't do it. You know what? Here's the challenge then. Do the best you can. We're not asking for equal giving. Some can give what the widow gave. Some can give what Barnabas gave. Here's what we're asking for. Equal sacrifice. Not equal giving. Equal sacrifice. Millie and I are going to do without some things. We're going to do without some things. Maybe going out to eat or whatever. We're just going to do without some things because we've got an offering number that God's put in our mind. Now, we pay our 10% but we're going to give a special offering above the 10% that day. And for all of you who do the 10%, that's the challenge for you. Would you give a special offering? Give your 10 like you always do, but then give something above. Just pray about that.
pray about that. We're expecting God to do great things. Amen. And you know what? You say the economy, my job, all that, I understand. But our source is God. And God never changes. Trust God. Step out in faith. Let's do something big on that day. Would you all stand to your feet? Everybody stand.